Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and on this episode, I'm chatting with Jeff Grace, composer on Netflix's wonderful fantasy adventure series, Sweet Tooth. Based on the DC Vertigo comic book, Sweet Tooth is set 10 years after The Great Crumble, an event which wreaked havoc on the world and led to the mysterious emergence of hybrids, babies born part human, part animal. Unsure if hybrids are the cause or the result of the virus, many humans fear and hunt them. After a decade living safely in his secluded forest home, a sheltered hybrid deer boy named Gus unexpectedly befriends a wandering loner named Jeopard. Together they set out on an extraordinary adventure across what's left of America in search of answers about Gus's origins, Jeopard's past and the true meaning of home. Jeff Grace is an award-winning composer who has scored a multitude of film and TV series, a number of which have been collaborations with Sweet Tooth showrunner Jim Mickle. They include the Sundance TV drama Happen Leonard, which ran on Amazon in the UK, the Netflix film In the Shadow of the Moon, starring Boyd Holbrook and Michael C. Hall, the movie Cold in July, starring Michael C. Hall, Sam Shepard and Don Johnson, and Night Moves, starring Jesse Emberg and Dakota Fanning. More recently, Jeff has been scoring the Facebook Watch series The Birch and Tom Dolby's The Artist's Wife movie, starring Lena Olin and Bruce Dern. In the interview, Jeff discusses his long collaboration with Jim Mickle and how he came up with the unique hybrid sound of Sweet Tooth. There are a number of spoilers in the interview, so I would strongly suggest you watch the series before listening. Also, I would suggest you watch the series because it's a great, great show as well. The drama comes from Robert Downey Jr. and Susan Downey's Team Downey, and Netflix recently revealed that it's been watched by over 60 million household members, placing it as the sixth most watched English language original series on the streaming service. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, film, and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk uk for daily news stories and all the latest uk and us tv premiere dates here's the interview with sweet tooth composer jeff grace it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
thank you for coming on and talking to me a bit about uh, Sweet Tooth. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. I love the show. It's such a wonderful, wonderful series. Before we get into talking about the show itself, do you just want to give me a little bit of background about you and how you got into the industry? Sure. So I grew up in the Boston area and I grew up playing music and I liked all different kinds of music. And so when I went to university, I just kind of continued along those same lines and, and went to school near New York and then just started getting my feet wet with everything going on around here. And I went to a school of the arts that had Rutgers University and they, there's a great dance program there as well. And there's a great theater school. So there were some interdisciplinary things that were going on. So that was my first taste of kind of mixing music with other things. <laughs> and then um, when I got out of school, I, I got a job in the city working at a music house. So doing music for TV and for jingles and things like that. And, and the guy who owned the place, his name's Robert Ruggieri, he did ballets for a whole bunch of different ballet companies, in, especially a lot with Alvin Ailey. Right. And uh, so I got I got to see how someone thought about between those two different things, it was different ways of thinking about, you know, putting music to visuals. And then I had a family friend who was a documentary film composer living in the city. And I started working for him a little bit. And then I started scoring student films at all the film schools in New York. I just went around posting up flyers. <laughs> and uh, so I did a lot of student films. And then a friend of a friend worked up at Howard Shore's office and they were looking for somebody to come up and help up up there. And that was right before Lord of the Rings. So I ended up working for him for about four years. Nice. And then... Yeah, so that was dur during those three movies and other movies like Gangs in New York and uh, got to see how he worked with different directors and some of those directors he'd worked with like his entire career. So that was a really interesting thing, seeing the, yeah. you know, the way people communicate on on that level and seeing how big sessions get done, you know, got to record at Abbey Road and Air and spend a lot of time in London. Um, cool. And then also L.A. and plenty of recording in New York. But that was a real look into, you know, doing high level film scoring kind stuff. And then after I left there, I ended up hooking up with a, um, a small production company in New York called Glass Eye Picks. And Larry Fessenden is the filmmaker who started that company. And that ended up leading me to, um, I met Jim Mickle through them. Right. They were producing his second feature film. And I, I did a lot of films for those guys, especially with Jim. You know, we've done, we've ended up doing a lot of projects together over the last 10 or plus years. Yeah. I mean, that pretty much brings you up to where you are now because you did happen Leonard with Jim and then presumably that's how you got involved with Sweet Tooth at this point. Yeah, he was doing a lot of movies and then started getting into doing TV things as well and he's sort of gone back and forth. <laughs> so yeah. we did Cold in July which was actually from a Joe Lansdale book and then they took the the series Happen Leonard and then, you know, made the show out of that <laughs> and then there were other movie projects kind of peppered in there that, you know, some went by the wayside but then in the shadow of the moon happened and that was a netflix movie and then team downey and warner jim hooked up with them to do sweet tooth and so he's doing you know he's he's got his foot in both both doors firmly now doing the tv stuff and the film stuff which is great i like both yeah it's a lovely position to be in having a long relationship with a director like that that's that's got to help the process i would have thought yeah i mean i think when you work with someone the first time communication is a huge that can be a 
huge part of it and getting on the same page. And you because different people might communicate in different ways. And especially with music, when you're talking to somebody who, you know, if I'm talking to a musician, we can use certain language and, you know, we talk about music all the time. So it's easy to communicate with those people, but with people who don't always communicate about music, they can find it challenging. Sometimes directors don't like, they, they're not comfortable with the amount of control they have to give mm-hmm. up because they don't speak that language as well, maybe. Yeah. So that can be a little bit of just sort of trial and error. And I always find that, cause I, I I've been fortunate that uh, there are a number of film makers who I've worked with multiple times. And the second project is always easier. There's like the communication is always easier. And then it just kind of gets easier and easier, I find. And then there's also if you're able to maintain a relationship with someone, there's there's a reason for that. You know, you obviously something's working well. And in the case with Jim, immediately when we met, we just kind of hit it off and very easygoing. He plays a bit of music himself. And so he's he's actually very good about speaking about music. And then he's just a really great collaborator. I mean, he knows what he wants. So he's not, uh, there's, you're not going down blind alleys and things like that. But at the same time, he's open to collaboration. So he really values the people that he has around him. And because in, in film and TV, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of work. So yeah. when the going gets tough, it's, it's that much easier to go and put your all into it when, first of all, you know what that person's looking for. And second of all, they really value what you what you do and you know that you're going to figure out a way to to make things work yeah i mean he's he's also super talented so it's like the project every project that we've always that we've done i've been really really proud of and been really excited to be a part of you know he always picks great great projects well what were your initial thoughts when he approached you about this because on paper it is a really bizarre sounding thing because it's this (laughs) post-apocalyptic fairy tale world the lead character is a hybrid dear boy and there's this kind of giant loner that works with him and it's a comic book adaptation. I mean, what were your thoughts when he sort of goes, I want to do this next? (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because when I started with Jim and especially with those filmmakers that we kind of all started with, we were doing horror films. Not Mm. that that was the only thing that we did, but but that or, or, or the only interest we had, but it's just that that's kind of where we started and and had a certain amount of um, comfort and interest in that kind of stuff. However, he's always been somebody that I think what made his horror films interesting was the other elements that he brought to it. So, yeah, you know, great, great handle on drama, on emotion and great handle on story and great handle on action and just all the different kinds of things. I mean, he was from when I met him, he was a very, very well-rounded filmmaker already. Hmm. And and then as we've gone on to do other things, he's easily stepped into all the different roles and, you know, fulfilling the different requirements for the different stories that we've done. So to me, it was it was just like, oh, yeah, here's another thing that he'll he'll be great at. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah. from that side of it, because that has a lot to do with it. I mean, the, how good the filmmaker, you could have the best story. And yeah. if the person executing it doesn't do it well, then Mm -hmm. it's a waste. And I've seen some pretty flimsy stories get turned into some pretty engaging stuff by filmmakers who really knew what they were doing. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was great. And to me with like good genre stuff, you want to care about the characters and that's what makes the stakes all that more meaningful. 
So it just seemed like it was just another vehicle to do that kind of stuff. However, I'd seen him work with kids a few times before, and like it seemed like a really great new thing to explore for him. And then the story does have a lot of, you know, it's got different threads and it's got different things going on. So it seemed like it would be a really great world to explore in the TV medium, you know, yeah. where you have a little, where you, you, there's more room to go and, and do stuff. And, you know, it can go on for many seasons potentially and go in different directions. And I don't get myself too involved with the logistical things, but it was like, yeah, what are they, how are they going to make a deer kid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of those kinds of things. I was just, you know, it, it made me wonder a little bit, but I, I just, I just thought it sounded really, really cool. I actually held off a little bit on reading the comic because when we'd done literary adaptations before, I went ahead and read everything. And then, you know, there are always changes that have to happen just because going from one medium to another. And mm. then even when you think when you read a book and then, you know, you have a friend who reads the book. And then if you start discussing the book, people are going to have their own interpretations of what that is. Yeah. You know, and if we could look into each other's minds, I'm sure our pictures of what's happening in the book would be different. Mm. So when you go and you put the stuff on the screen and it's just the process of making certain things more finite, then there are going to be certain changes. And then the adaptation process, you know, clearly they wanted to make this a more accessible show mm -hmm. than I think or for a wider audience than the graphic novels originally were. So, you know, there were changes that, that were going to happen. When we did Cold in July and when we did Happen Leonard, I found that that my interpretation of the book, then reading the script, like they, I had to make an adjustment. And then when you start to see the stuff on screen, I had to make another adjustment, hmm. which is all fine and part of the process. But this time I, I knew I was going to have time to read the scripts and then go back and read the comic. So I wanted my first impression to actually be what the script, because ultimately that's yeah. what we're making. Yeah. You know, and then I, but I wanted to be at least somewhat informed of what Jeff originally had in mind for it. I mean, either way, you're going to make what's on the screen happen. But the comics are definitely grittier and um, yeah. darker. And the initial stuff that I wrote while they were shooting, I think, was a little closer to what the sound of the show ended up being than had I done it the other way. I think right. that would have been a lot darker just reading the comics. Um, yeah. What were the discussions with Jim about the scores? Did he have any idea of the sort of thing that you should go for? Or was that left entirely up to you to come out with something? No, we, one of the great things about working with somebody, you know, having a long relationship with them is you usually find out about projects early on in the process. Mm -hmm. And especially with Jim, you know, we talk a lot even between projects. And so he told me about this thing sort of kicking around. And so I was thinking about it a little bit and just hearing him talk about it and what his what he liked about it and kind of how he would handle things. And it became really clear that it needed to have a sort of organic quality to it, but that it also was this fantasy thing and it needed to have a little bit of a personality of, of its own. And there would be more in some intimate moments uh, at times. And so we wanted to figure out how to have a sound that wasn't always like this huge thing. Mm. And so a little smaller and kind of like more chamber kind of stuff, like some more solo instrumentation, that kind of stuff, instead of having like a big orchestral sound all the time. Yeah. And then merging it with merging different 
sounds together because there are, you know, it's hybrids. <laughs> and then also having the kind of adult world and the outside world, and then having this kid who sheltered and then is thrust into this crazy world. Mm. And he's kind of taking everything in. So those were all different things to, to, to talk about and that, or to think about. And then we just felt like with Gus, there were times when things might need to be kind of playful. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were obviously there were going to be dark things, you know, because it's a post-apocalyptic world, and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So, like I said, I, I there was like the initial conversations and then we can just continue having conversations. Then when they were writing and then when they started shooting and I started seeing dailies and stuff. And then when they started cutting stuff together, I started getting a little bit more of an idea of what the... Yeah, just what the feel of it was. But then the funny thing was we did the pilot first and we did that in 2019. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, this, all like all this was that we, we did before even COVID hit, you know, <laughs> um, and they were actually they were actually just like, I think they were two weeks away from going back to New Zealand to go shoot when everything shut down. Oh, wow. So we done a lot of work, but that the pilot is like a prelude because there's behind that fenced area yeah. for the most majority of the of that episode mm. so it's really the second episode where things kind of take off mm. but musically you know there's a lot of thematic stuff that started up in the first episode that we carried forward yeah i mean you're dealing with not only the sort of things with the hybrids and just tonally gus and big man go through these kind of different adventures you've also got three or four separate plot lines how were you handling those separate storylines musically are you using sort of themes and instruments specifically for certain characters or environments? How, how is that sort of broken down? Yeah, well, it's funny. The, initially, I was thinking, oh, just, you know, have a theme for this character and have a theme for this character and have a theme for this. And started kind of doing that while also just, I mean, I, I tend to go and work my way through a film or a show. And then at the same time, I'm looking in all different spots where I might be able to, to go back and use some of that material. And then mm -hmm. if I know a thing is going to show up three or four different times, then I might look at all those different scenes at the same time mm -hmm. and to make sure, you know, well, is there stuff that I can share between them? And maybe is there a way that I can do things so that there, it's like a little more malleable so that it can work in those different spots easily. And then there were things like there's a theme that plays in the first episode when Gus is with his dad and his dad is telling him about his mom. Mm. So there's a theme that plays there. And that ended up being a thread that we use for not just him, but for all the characters when they're talking about family. Right. So like Amy and Wendy, they become like a family, right? Yeah. And then there's like the animal army, like they're their own kind of family. And not that I actually use that theme there, but the different characters, family has a certain significance for them. So mm -hmm. this theme, instead of being about just like, oh, here's this character, use this theme. Then it, it's a certain, it's certain ideas that get certain treatments. Right. So family is, becomes one of the things. And that becomes, you know, when you have different, a lot of different story threads, 
and it's all within one show, you got to look for ways to try to pull it together mm. and not have it feel like it's just jumping all over the place. So that was one way to go and kind of bring some of that stuff together. But then there are things like when the last men are there, yeah. there's def there are definitely like two pieces of music, two themes for the last men. And those things we use pretty consistently with them. And then Gus has like, there's a ton of different <laughs> Gus themes, <laughs> you know, um, especially because the pilot was so like, everything was so much about him and different things that he was exploring and, and all that. Then you've got characters like Dr. Singh, who is the virologist. He's very kind of almost different, you know, because the other ones are dealing, I mean, yes, they're all dealing with family, but his situation is markedly different to the, you know, the ones that are protecting the hybrids. And it's it's almost, there's something sort of much darker about what's going on in that, that little community of them, you know, setting fire to people and the old Lang Syne thing going on and all that sort of stuff. So how is it approaching the music for that? Yeah, well, their storyline's interesting because they're, they're basically trying to pretend that like everything is the same as it was before this pandemic hit. And yeah. the pandemic they're in is like, I mean, if you catch that thing, you're dead and yeah. society collapses, you know, and then there's this big militia that kind of runs over everything. So, and as you're saying, the, this neighborhood, they resort to emolulating people that end up getting sick. Um, yeah. And so they're kind of like, they're trying to pretend they're civilized, but they're really not. And yeah, it's a really dark, it's very dark. And then he's forced to make a hard choice where he has to do one thing that he really doesn't agree with, but but he has to do it in order to help his wife and doesn't really have a choice. Um, yeah. So the thing about that storyline is there's two sides to it. There's that part of like their neighbors and, and that, that part of their existence, but also they're in the midst of all that, you know, Singh and his wife very much so love each other. Mm. So there's this love between them, but then it's in this really dark place, you know, like everything around them is really, and the, and the neighbors are suspicious and they're scared of getting found out. And one of the things about that, just in terms of the, approaching the music was I had to be able to make those really dark turns, but then get back to this relationship between Singh and his wife yeah, and then get back to that the situation that he finds as a horrific situation, having to go and carry on this work from this doctor colleague of his who is like real ethically questionable yeah. <laughs> yes. landscape that he's in, you know, going down this thing. But again, he can't, I mean, it's either that or, he, or his wife dies, you know. Mm. So being able to make all those different turns was something that I knew was going to be challenging. And there's that one thing where they're in that party and there's music in the background and then there's some conversations and they're worried about being found out and kind of like suspicion of the neighbors and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden turns out somebody's sick and then the, you see what the extremes that they go to yeah. and sort of how barbaric it all is and stuff. Yeah. Um, that ends with them emolulating this guy and then it cuts into... <laughs> Jeff and Big Man and Gus going off on their adventure to you know, 
<laughs> like taking up where they are. And Gus is excited about one thing or another, you know, going to see a market like that. Kinda, yeah. That was the thing that was challenging to me. And then, you know, just making a decision about how dark to go with certain things, making sure that it could kind of all live under one roof. But at the same time, the comic was really dark. So wanting to go and be as faithful to those things as we could be where we could be, you know? Yeah. So that was that seemed like an opportunity to like really lean into that kind of stuff. And yeah. 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 You mentioned there was a sort of delay due to the pandemic because, you know, it was a pandemic. I mean, ironically, shooting a show about a pandemic gets delayed by a pandemic. But um, (laughs) thankfully, they were actually shooting in New Zealand there, weren't they? So I I guess they weren't shut down for quite as long as maybe some people were. In terms of recording things for you, though, how were you handling that? Were you using live musicians and managing to get people yes. to, to do that? Or Yeah. So again, the pilot we had done before. So yeah. I had already done some music and then they got delayed a few months. But then I, so I started writing again once I started getting stuff in the fall. Then I have space, you know, in my office, hmm. um, I have space enough to go and record a few players and have distancing and that kind of stuff. So we did some recording with doing having done a lot of independent films you know over the years have figured out how to do more with less (laughs) so yeah but then you know part of the sound that it just sort of asked for anyway was this kind of hybrid sound that some of it was really intimate in places and um i thought it needed to have an organic quality but then also needed to have this sort of otherworldly almost exotic like kind of um almost futuristic like just it just felt like it needed to have something that was a that was a little bit off or abnormal from what you might normally hear and and then just trying to switch things up and then you know they are it is a little bit off in the future but it's not like we're living on some other planet Hmm. but the world has changed and then there are these new creatures and you know part one big discussion that we had was for Gus, he goes out into the world. So he's seeing the outside world for the first time. And there are all these things that he's never seen before. It's like when he goes <laughs> to the animal army, he sees a computer, and yeah. all these different things. Or even in the second episode, when he, he goes to an abandoned visitor center, like National Park Visitor Center, and just going in and seeing a leftover store. Yeah. Um, so there's all this wonder for him. But at the same time, he's being hunted by poachers and the world is a dangerous place and all that's So we had to find this thing, this like duality of wonder and threat at the same time. Yeah. So that was something that came up a fair amount. That was a tricky balancing act. So then it became a question of like sound palette wise, how do you go and achieve that kind of stuff? And it just felt right that some of that should be kind of electronic elements and like the hybrid thing. But even when it was electronic, I wanted to be to have an organic sound to it as well. So in recording with smaller numbers for some things, you can get nice detail and then kind of push that to the fore a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then if you're like layering that with with other things that are, have kind of a bigger sound, you know, it can kind of lend nice detail to something that has more body to it and things like that. So I couldn't do all the things that I wanted to do, but then necessity is the mother of invention, right? <laughs> yeah. So because I had these things that I could deal with or that were available to me, then I'm just kind of figuring out a way to come up with things with those different parameters. And yeah. there's no use in complaining about things that can't change. So. Exactly. <laughs> I ended 
ended up making some decisions that maybe I wouldn't have made, but that I think ended up working well for the show. Right. And some of that was kind of fun. Yeah. 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 I mean, in terms of finding that slightly kind of otherworldliness and that sort of slightly off sound, what are you using to do that? Is there any kind of weird instruments you ended up picking up to maybe introduce things in or with the hybrids and stuff? I think a lot of it was more layering things together. So like some kind of organic acoustic thing and then layering that with an electronic or synth thing. Or there was a fair amount of, you know, I would record something at a certain pitch and then slow it down. Right. And then maybe reprocess it or something like that. So it might start out with an organic thing and then you process that. So you get kind of your foot in both worlds with that. And then I had done a film, a Kelly record film called Meek's Cutoff. And it was like an 1840s Oregon Trail period film. (laughs) But what she found out initially was that, you know, like a traditional Western score didn't work for the film. (laughs) So I saw the, she asked me to take a look at the film. I looked at it and and, and I could see what she was talking about, but it was a period film and it was a Western. So you, I felt like you couldn't just completely ignore that mm. musically. So then I came up with the idea of using the instruments that were available then, but using them in unfamiliar ways. So yeah. there was like a little bit of, you get like a hint of the familiarity, but her film was not a traditional Western by any stretch of the imagination. And she had like these great long dissolves and, and just, her filmmaking lends itself towards certain things. So I wanted to do something that was like a bit more impressionistic and then could just have like these textures and one bleeding into the next and that kind of thing, like her visuals kind of did. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing was I decided to go and make almost like an ambient score, but with acoustic instruments and right. try to find out ways to go and make different textures with those. And then maybe just have the textures kind of, you know, I like, like I wouldn't write a thing the way that I would for an orchestra to just normally play a piece, like use the recording technology and these other things to go and just kind of come up with a collage. So for Sweet Tooth, I took some of those ideas as well to kind of like blur those lines of, okay, what's, you know, how are we going to get this kind of sound that's like, well, the hybrids are, they're supposed to be, I mean, they're living creatures. So in some way or another, they are a part of nature mm-hmm. and they live, but at the same time, they're not the same thing as humans. So, um, so it was just trying to find different sounds and do those things. So I just kind of kept that thing going, you know, how, how can you go and <laughs> yeah. the same 12 notes and this is kind of the same sounds we always use, but how can you do something different with it? So yeah, it's interesting. Um, should I? ask as you mentioned it, it was backed by team downey did you manage to uh, have a conversation with iron man himself <laughs> through this you know you when we had we would do mixed playbacks and he would pop into the screen and uh <laughs> he would pop on the screen now and again but no i didn't have much interaction with him actually my relationship with jim is great because i don't like i'm uh, right. for the most part we work very closely together and then he's kind of like if somebody has an issue with xy 
Y or Z, you know, talk to me and I'll talk to my people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is great. Things aren't being done by committee. And then you, uh, I always know like, all right, I need to do X, Y, and Z. Like there's no, you don't end up with one person saying one thing and then the next person saying something that completely contradicts that. And then another person introducing something else, which happens sometimes. Yeah. Then you're just wondering like, well, how, what am I supposed to do? Because I can't do all three of those things. Yeah. So much better to have one funnel coming down to you rather than like having notes flying in from everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Jim's really great about talking to whoever and getting everybody on the same page and and all that kind of stuff and figuring out like if there's an issue, figuring out what the issue really is and what the solution needs to be and then just moving on, you know? Yeah, that's good. So you're done with the first season of Sweet Tooth. Hopefully it will get a second season because I've been really, really enjoying it. I think it's a really interesting and unique and different thing. Do you know what you're working on next? You might not be able to talk about it. That's often the case, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm not able to talk about That's uh, the next things just yet, but... Uh, you're working? That's the important thing. <laughs> there, there will be some cool things. Yep. Yeah, that's that's good. So, so last couple of questions for you. The first question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? So I just... Well, I had been really busy, but <laughs> um, I just watched Mayor of Easttown. Right, yes. That's come um, up a few times. Yeah, I saw that. I'm waiting for the next season of the mandalorian that's, <laughs> that's a very cool show with a great score oh yeah um, i love the fact that somebody handed him a star wars show and his first thought was i know i need to go out and buy some recorders <laughs> which I, I don't think anybody else would have had that thought for it but it's a brilliant, no, that, brilliant that's score. exactly the yeah no that's a great that's like the, a great thing to do yeah it's amazing just completely go and, yeah 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 just yeah. completely go and then like how can i go somewhere else you know? yeah it's um, phenomenal. But I, yeah, I think he does. He does a great job with that. Um, you know, guilty pleasures have nothing to do with what I do. But <laughs> actually, I'd be I'd be curious to know your opinion. Did you see that show, Ted Lasso? I, I haven't. Uh, one of one of my uh, co-hosts <laughs> on the podcast, watch it, and, and uh, who's a huge football fan, and um, he absolutely loved it. He said it was hilarious. Apple's been doing some great work actually with their TV series. So uh, yes. I haven't actually watched it myself, but yes, I'm told it is very, very good and very funny. I find it very entertaining because I grew up playing what, you know, obviously we call it soccer, but, um, and it was when I was growing up, that was like the outcast sport here. Now it's <laughs> very popular and like all my kids wear Ronaldo jerseys. And, right, you know, yeah. But when I was a kid, you were like beat up because you, play, <laughs> you played <laughs> soccer, but, um, but I loved it. And, yeah. and we used to, yeah, we used to get the premier league on Sunday mornings at like seven o'clock in the morning and you put the tinfoil on your antenna you know and all that kind of stuff but um yeah it's just funny to, to see what to hear what other people think of it because in many ways the main character is a stereotypical american idiot but yeah <laughs> it's yeah like, but yeah. it's very entertaining and then the there's a bunch of shows where you get you know when you have this the collisions of different cultures that make for really really funny things there's a documentary series coming up on disney plus and it's ryan Reynolds 
Reynolds and I can't remember the guy's name, but he's the guy from It's Always Sunny and Mythic Quest, Rob something. And they bought, I think it was Wigan football team they bought, knowing nothing about football, but are obviously trying to take it quite seriously. And there is a documentary series coming out about their journey of sort of what happened when they randomly last year decided to buy this football club, this British football club. <laughs> so I think that's going to be very funny. Yeah, and Ryan Reynolds, yeah. he's he's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm really interested to see that. That's coming to Disney Plus, I think. Lastly, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, can be something historical from the past, can be something that's on now, or can be some sort of future genre you'd like to work in, what would it be? I grew up loving sci-fi. The problem is most sci-fi is terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least nowadays. But yeah, I like a good... I mean, for me, the thing is, I just want to work on a good project. So I don't. I actually like all different kinds of things. Mm. Um, but I would love to do a really good sci-fi show. That would be really great. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I adore sci-fi shows. And, uh, the, you know, The Mandalorian, if the soundtrack wasn't already so brilliant for The Mandalorian, <laughs> you know, but that would be a great one to be involved with. But um, I'm sure there'll be other stuff coming out. So, well, it's been lovely to be able to chat with you for a bit. Uh, as I say, I really enjoy the show. I hope it gets picked up for a second season because I really, really am enjoying it and uh, want to see it come back. Good luck with whatever you're doing next. And uh, hopefully we can talk again in the future. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. No worries. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Okay, Dave. All right. Bye. Bye.